Genesis chapter 1, this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below from the expanse, below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given every green, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed 
it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to every thing that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Father, we are needy. We are hungry. We need to be brought back onto the narrow path. We need, Father, to fear you. We need to receive your word like little children. And so, Father, I pray that we would do so and we would hang on every word that you have revealed to us of yourself. And may we be fed and strengthened and convicted and repent and grow. To your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So these are words that are incredible because we we sort of know them even if we haven't been in church. These words are sort of just culturally known. Um, At least, you know, maybe not in all the details, but Um, We know them so well, and yet we can read over them and not think through just the depth and the the magnitude of everything that's laid out here in in the first chapter and a little bit of the second chapter. But I want to spend some weeks in probably the first three chapters of Genesis because of how many foundational doctrines are in these chapters. And we find out in the first chapters of God's inspired and authoritative word the fundamental creation ordinances that God gave to man before sin entered the world. That's what I want to focus on. I don't want to get wrapped up in giving you uh, a a scientific take on Genesis chapter 1 and day-age theory and gap theory and all those, you know, what's going on with the days. I don't have much interest in that. God, Jesus rose from the dead. And if you accept that fact, then there's no miracle in the Bible that's the trouble for you. Even God speaking all things into existence by the word of his mouth. Right? Okay, and so we take that, and, and, and he could do it, he could have done it in, in um, three second long days have done it in a nanosecond. He's powerful. Okay, God is powerful. And so 
I, I don't want to get wrapped up in that, but what I want to do is look at Genesis and the creation ordinances. There are things here that God told man to do before man fell. And that's why they're so important. God tells man how things were supposed to run in his world without sin entering into it. And all of those creation ordinances, you must realize, are still in effect today. This is what God desires for his world. Okay, These creation ordinances. We find out in the early part of Genesis how God ordered his world, and not merely the world of believers, but the world. This applies to everyone, everywhere, every part of the universe, at all times. Okay? We find out in this history, this glimpse into the world before sin corrupted everything, God's will for mankind. We find out exactly what work God gave to his creation and what order he wanted mankind to follow. In Christian theology, these ordering principles have been called creation ordinances or creation mandates. I'll stick with creation ordinances. The creation ordinances given to man before he fell or as as our theologians would say, in his state of integrity, are as follows. Here's, here are the things God commanded mankind to do. Have children. Have a lot of children. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? Be fruitful and multiply. The replenishing of the earth, we'll we'll figure out what that means. The subduing of the earth. Man was to have dominion over the animals and creatures. Man was to work, right? We didn't read that passage, but, but Adam was told to cultivate and keep the garden. So there's a mandate for work pre-fall, yes, pre-fall. Post-fall work has thorns and thistles. Pre-fall work did not have such thorns and thistles. And then there's, there's the command to keep the weekly Sabbath. God gives us a pattern, right? God shows us work six, rest on the seventh. That day is sanctified, it's blessed by him, and it's a day of rest. And then finally, man is told to marry, to be married. And that is the context for fulfilling the um, creation mandate to um, create a godly seed. And so we see it here. 128, the procreation of children, be fruitful and multiply. The replenishing of the earth, 128, that's where it says, and fill the earth. Mankind is to fill the earth, right? And then there's, man, there's the subduing the earth. Right? In 128. So right there, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That's like three huge commands. Three huge commands. Have children, spread over the earth, and subdue it. Because you know what's in that earth? All kinds of treasures that, that taste good. 
and we'll keep you alive and we'll, we'll allow you to build rockets to go to Mars. And then there's man's rule over the, creature, uh, the creation and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man is a king on the earth. Man rules the earth over the creatures. Work. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden, Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Right there, that command to be productive, to not merely be a consumer, but be a producer. Right? Get and produce. And then Sabbath. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. There's God working, working, working for six days, and then this, this different seventh day, the, the rest day. God did it. God showed us the pattern of that. And it's not like God stopped working, but he did stop that creative working there. And then there's marriage. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. This is in chapter 2 at verse 18. And then skipping down a bit. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." So those are the creation ordinances. Those are what we should be given to every person who has ever lived. Not just those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but every person who has ever lived should be given to those things. Because that is how God has made his world to work. That is what God expects of this thing he has made for us to live on and glorify him. Now think about those creation ordinances. Children, filling the earth, subduing the earth and her resources, man's dominion over the animals and plants, work, the weekly Sabbath, rest, and marriage. Now the current state of our society has much to say about all of those topics, right? The current state of our society has much to say about all of those topics, but not much to say that conforms to what God said to the first man and his wife before the fall. It's antithetical to those things that God said to the first man, right? Children. Children are not wanted. Children are despised. I'm sorry, children. It is despicable, isn't it, that you would be despised when you are so precious and lovely to us? But children are hated. And the world's birth rates are plummeting. Do you realize that? Do you realize that we're close to a a death spiral when it comes to the world's population? The birth rate in South Korea 
which is a very Presbyterian nation, if you did not know that. It's the largest Presbyterian church in the world in South Korea. It, the birth rate is 0.78. Now, you need 2.1 just to replace yourself, right? A couple needs to have 2.1 children to replace themselves. There's this 0.78. It's the lowest in the world. They're dying out. They'll die out in several generations. South Korea is the worst, but listen to this. Russia, 1.5. You got to be 2.1 just to replenish. Russia, 1.5. Norway, 1.6. France, 1.8. Germany, 1.6. Italy, 1.3. Brazil, 1.6. Canada, 1.4. United States, who wants to guess? 1.7. Below replacement. Zambia, who wants to guess Zambia? 4.3. The Arab world, now by regions, the Arab world, 3.1. European Union, 1.5. Middle East and North Africa, 2.6. Sub-Saharan Africa, 4.6. Africa's, Africa is being fruitful and multiplying. The world as a whole is 2.3, just above replacement. Just above replacement. And so our scientific and political authorities tell us that we have an overpopulation problem and that we must stop having children, right? Are we not incessantly hounded on this front, incessantly told and harped upon how how killing children in the womb is a positive good for society, but it's murder, and it fundamentally curses God who said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God has commanded mankind to be fruitful and multiply. Who are we going to take as our authority in this matter? God who spoke to the first man in a state of integrity or the Washington Post. But I know Christians who fear the things that the Washington Post publishes. Go back to Scripture. Who will we take as our authority in this matter? I'm convinced that all these deficits could be overcome if the church obeyed God, right? If the church merely obeyed God, but even the church is not interested in fruitfulness, dear brothers and sisters. The church is not. The church is killing their own children. The church has a very pragmatic view of children. The church... Um, almost every premarital counseling session I've done with young people has had the question, do you realize that in getting married, you should be prepared to have children? And they're like, well, we think we want to wait. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to do that? Are you going to kill your children? 
or are you going to be careful? Right? And, and most people assume they can get on the pill and they won't be killing their children, and that is not true. It's a board of fashion. Okay? And if the church just learned that and began fearing God in that, all of these numbers would be turned around. If the church just started saying, okay, God has told us, be fruitful and multiply, I'm going to trust Him in this. I'm not going to trust what, that, that my carbon footprint is going to be increased to the point where God can't do anything about it. If the church obeyed, if the church were interested in fruitfulness, but, dear brothers and sisters, we're more interested in large homes and vacations and binging shows and going out for dinner. We really are. I feel it in my own heart, in my own bones. I feel that pull. I want a standard of wealth, and my wealth needs to be money, not children. That's not great wealth, children. But it is the best wealth we could ever have because God has said, be fruitful and multiply, and I'm the one who opens the womb, and I will give you that riches. And the man who has a quiver full is like a warrior. but we're more interested in our standard of living than life. As for the replenishing of the earth, that speaks to the extent of the fruitfulness we're supposed to pursue. We are to fill the earth. <laughs> Have we filled the earth? Well, it depends on who you ask again, right? We've overfilled the earth, if you ask certain people. Our experts tell us that the earth cannot sustain an ever-increasing population. The anthropocentric global warming caused by overpopulation will lead to the inability of the earth to support life. Yet, think of this. Technological innovation, which has helped us feed the world and make ever-important increases in crop yields and medication, requires a large population and an increasing one. Technological innovation comes from people and lots of people. Have you ever thought about that? In limiting our population, we are limiting the smart people who figure things out. Right? Caleb, you're one of the smart people figuring things out. We do need engineers. <laughs> oh, man. And so this, the solution that's being proposed by scientists and politicians may be the very poison that leads to our complete desolation. Do you realize that? Such is always the result when God's ways are assaulted and man's ways are exalted. As for subduing the earth and man ruling over the creation, we are continually warned about the scarcity of our natural resources and the violence of mankind toward Mother Earth. Even though there is more green space today than there has been in many generations, we hear dire warnings about every resource running out and running out very soon. But God commanded mankind to subdue the earth and rule over the fish and the animals and the birds and plow the earth and dig in the earth and use the earth. 
We are to subdue it and put it to use in the sustaining of mankind. We are to see it as a massive storehouse of the stuff that makes it possible for mankind to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's just this glorious, massive storehouse that God has given to us so that we may obey him in the command to be fruitful and multiply. Mankind, though, is seen as a scourge on the earth today, but the earth should just merely be seen as a treasure trove of man-sustaining strength. This isn't to say that we should be reckless and wasteful. It is right to be good stewards of the gifts God has given to us. Indiscriminate and thoughtless pollution is sometimes the result of man's sin, man's greed. But the problem today is what you know, is what is being called for. It, what is being called for is getting man out of the way, getting man off the planet, getting man dead. That's what's being called for. That's antithetical to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Get man out of the way, subdue man so that earth can continue in her state of innocence. That turns things on their head and flies in the face of God's creation ordinance to subdue and rule. It's interesting that word subdue, isn't it? Subdue the earth. There's something unwieldy about this fallen world. It is very hard to control. Very hard. And man is to get to work controlling it. This rule is often called the cultural mandate. Man is to be a king on the earth. He is to rule over this earth and bring order. That's the whole function of society. Subdue the earth. But there are many today who would advocate that man needs to let nature rule itself. In other words, man needs to be deposed and nature needs to call the shots. They really, in the end, are advocating for the eradication of mankind. Do you realize that that's the end goal of much environmentalism is the eradication of mankind? To aim for the eradication of mankind is to aim for the eradication of God because it is to hope for an end to all those image bearers of God in this world. So you kill his image everywhere. And they think that they they will be better off. Then think about work. Work. Have we good God-honoring thoughts about work today? <laughs> oh, my. If anything, we understand work to be a distraction from the good life, a necessary evil. It's, it's what we have to do in order to actually enjoy life and to be part of the high life. If we could only recreate and enjoy and merely consume rather than produce, all would be well. That would be the high life. But that is not to fulfill the command of God who told man to cultivate and keep the garden, the earth. Cultivate it and keep it. We must, we must give ourselves to work, not because we want to get ahead, but because God worked and it was good. God worked. And think of just the glory of his work. The result of his work. The glorious result. Listen to what Dorothy Sayers says about work during, she said this during World War II. 
right? And during World War II, you're trying to figure out what are we going to do with the economy after we stop destroying each other, right? I mean, complicated questions. And here's what she says, I have already on a previous occasion spoken at some length on the subject of work and vocation. What I urged then was a thoroughgoing revolution in our whole attitude to work. I asked that it should be looked upon not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill, so fulfill itself to the glory of God. That it should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself. And that man, made in God's image, should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is well worth doing. It may well seem to you, as it does to some of my acquaintances, that I have a sort of obsession about this business of the right attitude to work. But I do insist upon it because it seems to me that what becomes of civilization after this war is going to depend enormously on our being able to affect this revolution in our ideas about work. Unless we do change our whole way of thought about work, I do not think we shall ever escape from the appalling squirrel cage of economic confusion in which we have been madly turning for the last three centuries or so, the cage in which we landed ourselves by acquiescing in a social system based upon envy and avarice. A society in which consumption has to be artificially stimulated in order to keep production going is a society founded on trash and waste in such a society as a house built upon sand. You. Work. We don't work to get ahead. We don't, I mean, we need to work to, to, to pay the bills. Yeah, but we work because we're imaging God in our work. He worked, we work. He was so productive, we be productive too. And we delight in that work. Then there's the Sabbath. How are we doing on the Sabbath? How are we doing on the Sabbath? This aspect of God's creation mandates is lost in our society. So lost that the church today feels very little um, compelling interest to sanctify the seventh day. Ironically, we grumble about work, but when we are commanded by God to rest... And worship every seventh day, we suddenly are motivated to work. <laughs> so twisted. It's so evil. We are not called to inactivity. We are called to worship and perform acts of necessity on the Sabbath day. But we are called to cease from laboring in the ways we did when we were being productive those six other days. This day, this seventh day, ought to be different and it is a blessed day set apart by God for all time. Because on it, what did he do? He rested. The one who needs no rest, rested. You need rest. And you won't. We're weird. We're weird and sinful. Aren't we? We make no sense. Well, then there's marriage. <laughs> oh, we're doing well on marriage. 
I mean, we're really fulfilling the creation mandate of God on marriage today, aren't we? I mean, perhaps no aspect of God's creation ordinances is more disordered than this one. We have taken this pre-fall institution, which God defined as one man and one woman, and dispensed with the order he laid out, man first, woman second, and the purposes he laid out, procreation of a godly seed, companionship, protection from sexual sin, and we have made marriage into merely a romantic arrangement. We, the church, have made the wombs of our women inhospitable for fulfilling the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. We have gone our own way and determined that God's rigid rules for one man, one woman are oppressive and old-fashioned. That's what we have done. And we did it when we just when we determined that when we determined that the only part of marriage, the three purposes of marriage that we like is companionship. We'll keep that one, God, but protection from sexual impurity, mm, one man can't be faithful to one woman. And be fruitful, multiple, mm, no, 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 no. Two and, two and that's enough, even though that's not replacement. Two's enough. Two, maybe three, four. I tell people I have six kids, like when I'm getting my hair cut, and they're like, What? And I was like, yeah, that's a small family in my church. I mean, in, the, in, in our churches. You know, David Abusar is having his 11th, 11th child soon. Right? The church we came from in Toledo, I, there were multiple 10, you know, 10 children in a family. And it, that had troubles. <laughs> that's hard. That's hard work. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It is hard work. And that man better be on top of his game. And really feel the call to provide. But that's true of, of you with one child as well. But we, we, because we've romanticized things and we haven't seen the purpose of marriage as f- the context within which we fulfill that first creation mandate, which is be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. We've just, we've walked away from that. Now let me remind you that these creation ordinances are not, do not merely apply to those who believe that Genesis is actual history. These creation ordinances apply to all men, to all those God created in His image. They come from God, were given to mankind before man was encumbered with sin. We learn from them how God would have man function in this world. Okay? We learn from these. And so these should be major bedrock principles of all societies. Okay? And yet, so far are we from the fear of God that the church does not even demonstrate this order to the sinful world. 
we don't like these things. We are more likely to take our marching orders from secular psychology and evolutionary biology and the traditions and thoughts of man, but we must not be so short-sighted and thankless. God has shown us in his word why he created us in all things. Will we respond to God's creation ordinances? He allows us to see behind. I mean, it's amazing that we have these first chapters in Scripture, right? It could have started with the fall. And we wouldn't know anything about what God had commanded for us. We'd be groping about in the dark. But we have these first few chapters, and it tells us why God created and what he told us to do. It's amazing, isn't it? It's wonderful. He has shown us why he made us and how we are to live in his world. He allows us to see beyond the blinding veil of sin and into the pristine world before sin. And brothers and sisters, these creation ordinances do not have an expiration date. They didn't run out at the resurrection. It's not like, you know, the ceremonial law. No, these these are in effect all times everywhere in God's universe. God did not rescind these things when Adam fell. No, these creation mandates are still God's order for all mankind. We Will we follow them or do we honestly prefer the marching orders that we receive from pundits and environmentalists and politicians and political economic forums and biologists and climate scientists, all of whom have very specific opinions and marching orders on all of these things. Will we fear God and follow His order for His world? In other words, we have an authority problem, don't we? We have a huge authority problem. We have taken as our authority the traditions of man and set aside God's word as the directive for our lives. We have concerns about feed, you know, bringing children into this world, and the world has convinced us of those reasons. And it doesn't matter that God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It doesn't matter. What God says. She's full, everybody tells us. And yet God has not rescinded this creation ordinance. The earth is still the stage upon which God expects us to obey him in these things. And so this really comes down to whose authority is going to determine our actions. Whose authority? And dear brothers and sisters, are we really going to prefer the commands of Weak, fearful, trembling men who have not a clue, who don't have a computer that can really analyze complicated systems to any depth of help, right? To the one who created the heavens and the earth. Are we going to take a, a, a climate model as our marching orders and disregard the command of God who spoke the God who spoke this whole world into existence and knows the beginning from the end and knows every hair that falls from your head. Oh, come on. He created the heavens and the earth. 
Are we, are we going to take our marching orders from creatures and set aside the commands of the Creator? Do you think this will turn out well for us? Do you think that, that their predictions will, will send us down the right course? Do you think going our own way will turn out well for each of us personally? Think of those first few words, right? Genesis 1, think of those first few words God has given to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God's name appears 35 times in that chapter, that first chapter. What do these words establish? Those words there, the first words of our Bible, they establish the authority of God over all. All things visible and invisible have a source. Everything that is was created by God. The source is God. This is the Christian faith. We learn from his word that he made all things and being the maker of all things, including man, he has absolute authority over all those things. He has ordered them by His very structure. He has commanded them because He has command authority, having made them. God's creation took place at the beginning of time, and all that existed before His creation was He Himself. He pre-existed the universe and made the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. And because of that, because of that, He has all authority. He, in fact, he has all power and all authority. He does and commands that which he wills, and it is all very good. The world would have you think that these commands of God, these ordinances are very, very bad for man. Very bad for man's, for God's image bearers. God is over all. He is the first. He has all authority. He has made everything visible and invisible. Now listen to what Matthew Henry says on this first sentence of the Bible. And this is what I want you to take away. God has authority. Okay, God has authority. God is your authority. There are no higher authorities. There are no competing. There are competing authorities, but there are none that that have a, a, you know, a good bat in the ballgame. <clears throat> but listen to what Matthew Henry says. Let us learn this. One, atheism is folly. And atheists are the biggest fools in nature. For they see there is a world that could not make itself, and yet they will not own there is a God that made it. Doubtless they are without excuse, but the God of this world has blinded their minds. Brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged by the atheists. Don't be discouraged by their explanations of everything that seem to make things fit together. Don't be discouraged by the atheists. They are fools. They deny what their eyes see all the time. They're unscientific in that sense. There are so many of them today, but they are fools who claim to be influenced by what their eyes observe but are blind to the work of God in His glorious creation. And then Matthew Henry too says that God is sovereign Lord of all by an incontestable right. If he is the creator, no doubt he is the owner and possessor of heaven and earth. Yes, he 
has all authority, he has command authority, and we being those who acknowledge he is the creator of all things ought to desire to obey him in everything, particularly in these creation ordinances. Third, this is what Henry says, that with God all things are possible and therefore happy are the people that have him as their God and whose help and hope stand in his name. God made the earth, God made the stars, and they will stand as long as he determines they ought. This earth will stand as long as God determines that it ought to stand. That is our fundamental principle. We must not abandon it for the fear-mongering of men. And then fourth, this is the last thing he says, and this is where I'll end. That the God we serve is worthy of and yet is exalted far above all blessing and praise. If he made the world... He needs not our services, nor can be benefited by them, and yet he justly requires them and deserves our praise. If he is of him, if all is of him, listen to this, if all is of him, all must be to him. Right? That's what I'm saying. Listen to that last line. If all is of him, all must be to him. Because he created this world, our lives ought to acknowledge that reality. Start with the creation ordinances and let them work into your lives. Let them become the norm and forget the godless philosophies of the world that would have you kill yourself and kill your children and save the world. Get married. Get married. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. That, that's what we that's the safe way to say, have a lot of children. And I know there are complications, right? I know that God will not open the womb of all women in the same way. And so we don't want to be obtuse. But can I just say, be fruitful? Can I say, have a lot of children and not have you mad at me? Um, work, be a producer as God was, be a consumer as God commands, subdue the earth, bring wealth and substance from its ground and its seas and its skies, bring out that wealth that God has planted in there for his precious people. Cease from working, be a rester as God was, be a rester, you've got to do it. And then, will we have God as our authority? Will we allow the Creator to tell us how to live? Will we take our marching orders from those who would form society around any doctrine other than that which we learn in the first chapters of Genesis? And this, just let this statement roll around in your head today and sink into your obedience. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just take a deep breath and let that sink into your obedience. He made all things. To Him I owe my praise, my honor, my holiness, my being, my life, my obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would help us to properly honor You and fear You. And, and Father, we have, we have taken our marching orders from so many sources outside of You. And we're ashamed. But Father, grant to us repentance by your Spirit. Help us go back to first principles.
Help us go back to honoring you and fulfilling the fundamental ways we are to glorify you in this world. Help us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.